Hello and welcome to episode number two of the Soccer Capital of America podcast series. Myself, Nate Bucati, joined by Ali Trost-Martin, Connell McCourt, and Chad Reynolds as we are getting you ready for the World Cup. Of course, match day number one for the United States of America comes up on Monday at 1 o'clock against Wales. And that's what today's episode is all about. Coming up on the show, I've got a 20-minute interview with Peter Vermees that you are not going to want to miss. He talks about what it was like for him and the United States men's national team in 1990 when that team was trying to assert the United States as a team that belonged on the global scale in advance of a World Cup that was coming to the U.S. four years later. That's what this United States men's national team is doing. So some similarities there, some strong differences as well. We also get a great breakdown from Peter Vermees on this American team, the keys to victory as he sees it, how important this game is on Monday against Wales, and much, much more. So make sure you stay tuned for that conversation coming up in a little bit. But first, let me bring in our entire crew. Allie Trost-Martin joins us today. Allie, how are you? I'm great, guys. We are just days away from the World Cup and our watch parties, which I'm also so excited about. Um, just being down in power and light. Nate, that was like one of the first things I ever worked with you back uh, with the Women's World Cup back in 2019. So excited to get back and hopefully uh, be leading some chants on stage for many weeks, not just uh, through November. It's going to be me, Allie, and Hartzell Gray on stage. We're going to try to see if we can pull Hartzell out of his shell a little bit, see if he'll show some personality for a change. A little, he's a little <laughs> quiet. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what we can do there. But yeah, those watch those watch parties in 2019 for the Women's World Cup really put Kansas City on the map in a global scale when it comes to being the soccer town that we all know that it is. Fox is going to be back, I think, you know, to, to watch these World Cup watch parties as well. So can't wait for that. We've got Connell McCourt, adopted American, uh, the Republic of Ireland, not in this World Cup. You're a Yank, mm-hmm. Connell. How are you, man? Uh, I'm very good. I'm actually getting really excited about it after the podcast we, get, we did the other day. I kind of got the, the pre-tournament jitters going. So USA I've adopted this year. It's just an added bonus that they're in England's group. So let's go USA. <laughs> and then we've got Chad Reynolds uh, joining us as well. Chad, how are you? I am I am excellent. I too am with Connell. The jitters are starting to hit now, and uh, it feels like it. You know, it hit me this morning. It feels like it's only a couple of days away because it's only a couple of days away, which is uh, an awesome, awesome feeling. And um, this is Nate. We talked on that other podcast about how you know it, it didn't feel like it was real because it was in a weird time of year, and. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel until it hit me. And now it has hit me and it's like, nope, it's the world cup. I'm jacked. Let's go. Yeah. It's been a late arriving run up to this world cup where it really just hasn't felt real. I think in large part because club soccer was taking place all over the world uh, up until this past week. But now teams are arriving. Reports are coming out of Qatar, some good, some bad, but uh, either way, I think everybody's finally starting to kind of realize, okay, this is a short run up now. And the World Cup is going to be here. And I want to let everybody know, the KC Live Block is the spot for the World Cup watch parties for both the United States and Mexico, beginning with the U.S. taking on Wales. Kickoff set for 1 o'clock Central Time 
on Monday. They'll continue on Tuesday when Mexico plays uh, my motherland of Poland, at least my grandparents' motherland of Poland, at 10 o'clock on Tuesday as well. So that'll be a big watch party also. Tickets, you do need tickets for these watch parties. They don't cost anything. They're free. But this is a little different than the watch parties we've had in the past when it was just everybody come on down. You've got to reserve a ticket in advance. You can do it at SeatGeek, and uh, it's very easy to do. So go to your SeatGeek app. You can go to the SportingKC.com website and get the instructions there as well. But you can download up to six tickets for yourself to come down. Entry to the events will be on a first-come, first-served basis beginning two hours prior to kickoff. They're going to close. They're going to empty out the Power and Light District. Then two hours before kickoff, they're going to let you in. If you have tickets, get there early. Don't be late. Don't walk up at 159 thinking, uh, I'm just going to stroll in here. I think these crowds are going to be huge for these watch parties. And the first one is on Monday. As Ali talked about, she and I will be on stage with uh, Hartzell Gray. We're going to have Peter Vermees there. Uh, I believe for the Monday game, we've got guys like Benny Failhaber and Matt Beasler lined up to make appearances through the course of these World Cup watch parties as well. And guys, unlike in Qatar, I believe beer will be available for sale somewhere <laughs> in the Power and Light District if you're into that sort of thing. I'm not, uh, you know, endorsing it or anything like that, but I think that's going to be the case. I just I heard this morning that that in the last 24 hours, uh, nearly 500 tickets out for Friday's match. That's not even talking about Monday. So nearly 500 tickets in the last 24 hours for USA England on Friday. Um, Get there early. Nate's right. Like that ticket's awesome. It does not guarantee entry. You got to still get there early enough before that place gets packed with 12,000 people. Um, You know, as we've seen in the past, nobody wants to be the person who shows up at 1259 and can't get in and, and then has to go find another place to watch this match. You want to be there. You want to be there early. And I was just going to ask, like, how you guys feel about the times in which these games are taking place. Like, I think 1 p.m. is the sweet spot. So go in, rally your coworkers, find a, a way to, to get out of the office for a couple hours. It's, it's like right in between that lunch period. Not that anyone's going to go back to work and get anything done after these <laughs> games. But... There, uh, I, I think it's like the perfect time for these games to be taking place. So I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited about the, you know, you get a nice little pregame time, go brunch it up with your coworkers, with your family, with your friends, if you got the whole week off, um, and we'll see you there. It's perfect. One o'clock is great. And in terms of this time of year, guys, it's it, the kids are home from school next week. You know, my, my children uh, do not have school all week long for Thanksgiving week. College kids are going to be back in town. It's going to be a young, vibrant crowd. It's going to be fun. That's actually the thing that I remember the most about the watch parties in 2014 when the United States played against Brazil. That was the first time I'd ever seen the Power and Light District quite like that. Because in the past, the only times I'd ever seen 12,000 people jammed into the Power and Light District was a Big 12 tournament. And usually that's a divided crowd. You got Kansas fans and Iowa State fans and K-State fans and all that all in the same place. Everybody was cheering for America. Now, once a couple years later or a year later, the you know Royals played in the World Series, Chiefs World Series or Chiefs Super Bowl. We started seeing those types of things where everybody was there for the same team. But the World Cup watch parties reminded me, uh, uh, made me think about how how young the crowd was, you know, a lot of college age kids and people right out of college that were just going nuts. You got that energy to it. And I think it's going to be like that on Monday. 
I think it's going to be interesting, guys, because we're this 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 episode is to break down the Wales game, this first game. We're going to be doing instant reactions. Chad, you want to lay out for us the kind of coverage people can get, by the way, uh, from us once we get into the games with the World Cup starting here on Sunday? Yeah, so the World Cup starts on Sunday. Uh, that is Qatar and Ecuador. And then on Monday, there are three matches. We're talking about the third match of the day. And the moment the lineup comes out, You'll have myself and Connell McCourt doing a quick breakdown. Uh, that'll be live on Twitter from Soccer Capital KC, at Soccer Capital KC. That assumes, by the way, Twitter's still around on Monday. We're going to pretend it is. Uh, Twitter will be here Monday. You'll have me and Connell doing a quick reaction to the USA lineup, to the Wales lineup, and a last-second preview for the match. And then after the match, the whole crew is going to get together, and we're going to break this thing down. We're going to talk about everything that happened, all the goals, all the saves, all of the big moments and hopefully a big three points for uh, the USA. So we got all kinds of content for you for these World Cup games. This episode is specifically designed to preview the Wales match. And like I said, we're going to have a great breakdown from Peter Vermees on that coming up in a little bit. Uh, and then after that, we're going to go through our starting lineups, our preferred starting lineups between the four of us, keys to the match, and we're going to do some picks to kick as well, who we think are going to have the big breakout performances in this. But before we take a break, guys, you guys mentioned being a little antsy, Connell. I just kind of want to take the temperature of everybody here. As we get ready, you know, like you go through it all. We've all filled out our brackets and who we think is going to advance and everything. But the closer you get to kick off and it starts to feel a little more real, how would you describe your emotions right now? Are you, are you excited? Are you anxious? Are you nervous? Are you worried? Where are you right now for this U.S. men's national team, Ali Trost Martin? I think more than anything, I'm just very curious. I'm very curious what the, just like the travel and everything was like for the team. Um, you know, we've talked about how a lot of these guys have experience, but not World Cup experience. So how can they bring that experience that they've gained through all of their their club team play and some of these high level competitions that you know a lot of them have gotten a chance to play in and bring that to the World Cup. I, I mean, just what's the mindset of the group? How are they acclimating? What are training sessions like? Like these are a lot of the questions that I have. And then how will that, you know, hopefully prepare them for their first game on Monday? So I'm just curious how they come out. Like, is there going to be any rust or any jitters? Um, how long will it take them to settle in to this first game against Wales and you know, can they can they get past some of that without conceding a, a really, you know, bad mistake that will will put them behind in this game? So I'm really just kind of curious how this team is acclimating with how how many eyeballs are on them, how much, um, you know, is just kind of riding on this for the U.S. men's national team. So that's kind of how I feel right now. I, I'm not personally very nervous, but I'm just more so curious as to you know how the team's kind of handling these early days of of getting acclimated being in Qatar and preparing for this first game where are you at Connell um, I'm kind of the same I, I'm more excited than anything really it, this is the first time I've ever been in the U.S. while a World Cup's been going on so what that they've qualified for sorry to bring up the bad memories of the past wow. but <laughs> wow i mean look we, ireland haven't qualified for once the 2002 so give me that one at least like so <laughs> i'm just kind of excited to see as nate was talking about there that atmosphere the vibrant 
atmosphere that's going around because I remember 2002 as long ago as it was I remember how Ireland was everybody was so excited on edge ready for the first game and now it kind of gives me something to root for everybody's going to be up for it it's just the excitement's building but I'm not even it's strange it may be because I'm not a an American, I guess, but I'm not too worried for the US. I think the, this team has played in a lot of big tournaments. They've put, they've played in games where it matters. You know, it's on the lane. It's all or nothing. Like the games against Mexico and stuff. They've been there and done it. And as Ali said, a lot of these guys play Champions League football or big games with their clubs. So I don't think it's going to phase them all that much. The one thing that is big on their side, I think, is the climate. Because Wales and England... They're not used to playing in this type of heat. Some places in the U.S., you know what it's like in the dog days of summer when the MLS players are playing. You're playing in the heat and some, you know, heat advisories and stuff. I've seen some of England training where they had to kind of stop and go and get like refreshments, and they looked out on their feet. So I'm actually it's strange, but I'm not too worried about them. I'm kind of just more excited just to get the the entire tournament going. Well, the MLS-based players certainly are used to playing in conditions like this. But I would also point out that even the European-based players that play for the U.S. have had to go down to Costa Rica and Honduras and places like that for qualification. So maybe that gives them a little bit like, hey, this is no big deal. We've been to worse places than this to try to Mm -hmm. get to the World Cup in the first place. What about you, Chad? Where are you right now? Yeah, I'm I'm in that boat of starting to look at this tactically like I'm trying to put the maybe that's just me trying to put the jitters aside and the more I think about it I really like how the U.S. matches up with the teams in this group and Nate maybe that's because you know you and I got a sneak peek at Peter Vermees's thoughts and and that made me made me think a little bit more about how how the U.S. matches up but man I mean what the U.S. team does well what their individual players do well it matches what they need to do to get out of this group. And frankly, getting out of the group is all that matters in the World Cup. After that, everything's gravy. Um, you know, that we're, this is not a nation like Argentina or Brazil that's got all the expectations. Get out of the group and see what happens. And if you can get into the round of 16 and you can get a win there, like, that's awesome. So I, I start to look at it and I go, okay, they're going to go in. They're going to play. We know the guys that get up for these games. I don't care that DeAndre Edlin's the only guy who's played in a World Cup or even been to a World Cup before on this squad. Weston McKinney has played big games in his career. Christian Pulisic has played big games in his career. And by the way, as Grant Wall told us on the Tournament Preview podcast the other day, you know who gets up for big games? Weston McKinney. Mm-hmm. You know, he may he may not get up for that game in qualifying that's on the road at, you know, Guatemala or Honduras. He may kind of seemingly sleepwalk through it at times. But when it matters for Juventus, for the national team, Weston McKinney puts in his best performances. And I think that you're going to see a lot of that from a lot of these players on the U.S. squad. They're going to be up for this. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited for the next week and a half. Well, and your point about Peter Vermees, I tell you what, we got a glimpse into just one of the many reasons he's such a phenomenal coach because I have been riding this roller coaster motion of where I was really, really confident and excited about this U.S. team. And now all of a sudden I started getting a little more nervous and a little more nervous and a little worried about, man, this, this, uh, this group looks tougher to me than people want to say it is. That conversation with Peter Vermees has me flying with confidence right now for this team and super optimistic. And that's what you want from your coach. You want him to fill the team <laughs> with confidence and belief. And, uh, and he's going to do that for you next. So that's perfect segue and set up for a conversation with Peter Vermees. After that, 
We're all going to go through who we want to start in this game and what we think the keys are for the United States versus Wales. This is the Soccer Capital of America podcast number two as we get ready for USA versus Wales in the World Cup. And we're back on the Soccer Capital of America podcast series as we get you ready for World Cup 2022 in Qatar. The United States taking on Wales and a perfect guy to help us set the scene for this. Something I just learned in the past week, the first man to really wear the number 10 for the United States men's national team when they started making World Cups consistently back in 1990, Peter Vermees joins us. Peter, how are you? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing well. Um, I don't know what that means that I wore the number 10, um, but sounds great. I just saw this graphic the other day, and they went through who everybody that's worn the number 10 in, you know, in, in U.S. men's national team history since going back to that one that you guys qualified for in 90, and I did not expect to see Peter Bermuda's name uh, play, wearing that number. Well, I, I was a number 10 because, as you know, the number 10 is like the guy who is always on the ball, so I just always wanted the <laughs> ball. That's why I wore the number 10. Well, hey, you were on the ball in a pretty, uh, you know, big moment in that World Cup, as we've we've heard you talk about before in the past. But I thought this would be it'd be great to talk with you, because there are some similarities between your World Cup team in '90 and this one. But there's also some pretty stark differences. So I thought we could talk about all those with you. And I'll start with the similarities. In 1990, you guys were trying. You guys made it to the World Cup right before the World Cup was coming to the United States in the next cycle. So you had a lot to play for in terms of trying to show that the United States belonged in the World Cup without even automatically qualifying. Um, and so I guess we could start there. For people that don't really remember what was at stake for you guys just getting to the World Cup in 1990, how important was that four years before it was going to be coming to America? Well, I, I think you kind of teed it up, right? So we had already gotten the World Cup, but the, the important thing was is that we were going to actually qualify because we hadn't qualified in 50 years. So it was paramount that we qualified prior to, and it wouldn't just be the only reason why we're getting in is because we were given the World Cup. So that was the first goal, I think, from a, you know, more from a global perspective. And then on the other side of it, we also knew getting the World Cup having a chance to qualify in 90, and then you could use that experience in 94, would obviously be a big asset moving into um, the World Cup in our, in our, in our home country. Well, and, and so that leads to one of the differences, which is, so you mentioned it 50 years before that 1990 team qualified. This team in, in this year's World Cup is just going on a four-year drought, basically, you know, or I guess it's been eight years since they played in their last World Cup, but they missed one qualifying cycle. But that's a pretty big deal considering starting with your team in 90. It had almost started to feel like a birthright for Americans, I think. You just get to go to the World Cup. You qualify every year. Um, and, and I'm curious for you what you think the pressure is like for this team, to, to what, what, what it was like for them to get there this time around. Well, I mean, obviously, there was, there was a lot of pressure on them, right, because everybody's so disappointed in the last World Cup and not qualifying. So there was a tremendous amount of pressure. I also think, though, that what, what, where they're similar to our team in 90 is the team itself really doesn't have much experience being at a World Cup. 
where the stark difference is, and I don't know if you're making this, uh, you're probably, I'm sure you're probably going to make this comparison, but they have, you know, how many players that are playing in top leagues in the world and then also, also playing on a regular basis in Major League Soccer, which obviously is a, is a great league in its own as well. And so we did not have that domestically. And every player prior to the World Cup, except I think, well, for sure myself, and I think Paul Caligiuri, um, and Paul may have even come back at some point, we were the only two guys that were playing outside the United States. So, I mean, just a huge difference in, in experience, right? And so where I think we as a team, as a nation, were going into the World Cup very naive and just lacking experience. Not, not I mean, nothing we could do about it other than we, we, try, we qualified, and so now we had to gain experience as we went. Where this group is really, you get so many guys that are playing at such a high level, it's not like as if they're going to go onto the field and they're going to be in awe of some of the players. They're, they're playing against them, you know, week in and week out. So from that point of view, that's where the team is completely different. Do you remember what it was like getting ready for game number one of your first World Cup, considering everything you just mentioned? And, and maybe even for these guys, yeah, they, they've played – some have played in the Champions League final. Some have – but they've all played in big games. But – for your first World Cup, what, what is that like for these guys right now? What was that like for you? Well, the preparation part of it is, is that, you know, you've, you know, there's this whole process you go to, right? Go through. You, you, you qualify, and, 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 and during qualification, you're constantly wanting to be on the team. You want to be starting. You want to be helping the team get the points to eventually qualify. Then you qualify. And then all the banter goes around on who's going to make the final list and who's going to get picked. And, and so then you're, you're doing everything you can to stay in form with your current club. And at the same time, you got to stay healthy because that's also could be a reason why you're not going to get picked. So you're, you're under that pressure of just making sure that you're in that world. Then you finally get picked. And now, you know, everything that goes with it, the, the send-off party and all those types of things. And now then you go and you – you leave, and now you're starting to train and prepare with all the guys together. And that is totally different in its own because you really haven't ever had that kind of privacy, but at the same time, you're in the global world because the globe is looking at you. So it's, it, it's, it's, it's just different. You know, we, were, we went to Switzerland first, and then we went to Italy afterwards uh, a few weeks before the first game, and we were in our, our – we, we called it our compound – um, and, and yeah, you're, you're, you're training hard. You know what the ultimate goal is to get to that first game. And I'll be honest with you. The first game was more like an international game that I played many a times other than the results. Cause we got our butts kicked. Um, Eric and got thrown out and we weren't prepared for that. Um, we were going to have a hard enough time playing even with our men, you know, 11 v 11, let alone now playing with a man down. It, it really, it really affected us. But I will say the second game, playing Italy in Rome, that was our introduction to the World Cup. But our result was so much better. I mean, we only lost 1-0, possible tie. But where it was different is that just the atmosphere and all of it. It, it. You just knew that you were in something that you had never expected before. And, and 
that was exciting. It truly was. It was unreal. And of course, we've heard you talk about it in the past, but uh, it's always worth reliving because it's such an incredible moment. How close you came in that Italy game and the ball just spinning on the on the ground. Can you take us through just what you remember about that play? And um, I don't know, like, you know, how many times you get asked about it by idiots like me, you know? Yeah, so 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 Bruce Murray and I, a lot of times were on 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 free kicks, and a lot of times this came down to who who was feeling it and or who was a better who had the better argument on that day to get the <laughs> kick right. So take take the shot. So um, Bruce had a, a harder shot than I did. I mean, he had a cannon, and it was actually it, we always had this thing. Um, when you got your first free kick, it was it was better to let the guy that could smash the ball go first because he could loosen up the wall a little bit if he missed, right? And he hit the wall. <laughs> that was our world. And so it, was, it didn't hurt if you just crushed all the guys in the wall. At any rate, the way we used to do it is if, if whoever was shooting, the other would go over the ball first. And then he would basically keep his run going in case the shot went and there was a rebound. Well, it just so happened that I go over like I'm shooting with my left, run around the outside of the wall, ball gets shot, and then the ball parries. Goalkeeper makes a save down to his right. I'm coming in on the left, and I'm obviously at a very tough angle, and I really don't have much to shoot at. Um, and so in that moment, I figure I'm just going to go between his legs, and I kind of hit it, and it kind of ricochets off you know, his ankle to his other ankle and it and passes through his legs. But it doesn't have a ton of power now because it was obviously slowed down by the by the hitting of, you know, the, the, the legs. And one of the players ran in behind and just, you know, cleared it out without it ever going in. And, uh, you know, I, I, I always kind of say it's kind of like uh, when you – baseball's phenomenal for this in, in a lot of, like, movies, right, where – kids in high school it's the state championship it's the last game of his high school career bases loaded you know his team's down by whatever number if he if he if he hits a home run he's a god if he doesn't you know his whole life is ruined and uh <laughs> i mean you know you could kind of equate it to that but i i look at it like this um if, if I probably would have scored it, I wouldn't be where I am at today. So I'm in a great place. So it all worked out for the best. Hey, for whatever it's worth, I came up to the plate with my last high school at bat in a very similar situation, and I tore my hip flexor. And it's the last time I ever took a swing in a competitive baseball game in my life. So, And look at me. I'm here talking and to you now. look where you are. <laughs> all good. So it, it all works out. Hey, so um, you mentioned you know the, the butt kicking in the first game. A lot of the talk – coming into this game against Wales is that, hey, the whole chances for the U.S. to advance in the group hinge maybe more on this first game than, than either of, of the other two. Um, when you got England coming up and Iran, Iran after that, people have thrown out the statistics that if you play well in your first game, you have such a higher probability of going through. And I'm curious what that pressure is like. You don't get, if, if that's really true, you don't get like a game to just feel yourself out and then see where you stand. What's that going to be like for these guys really with the pressure of thinking we got to have a good performance right off the bat in game number one? There, there, make no mistake about it, there's pressure for sure. But I think when you get to this level, right, the level that they're at, 
you're used to it. You know what you have to do. And so I don't think it's the kind of pressure that maybe the everyday normal person who's thinking about it, oh, my God, they're under so much pressure. Like, they don't think about it that way. Um, and the other thing, too, is, is that I believe when you get into situations like this or you're playing in a final of some sort, the, I think the most important thing, personally speaking, is that you have to learn how to control your nervous energy because you're so excited without even knowing it. You're, 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 you have nerves, not nerves because you're not ready to play, nerves because this is what you worked for to get to this point. And now you know, not that it's here, but it's the, it's the end result. Like after that game, that's your decision maker, right? This is not a final, but it is. I mean, it's, it's the World Cup finals, right? And so you're trying to advance out of your group. And to your point, this game is huge for a number of reasons. It's the first game. Um, you have to get points out of this game, in my opinion. You have to. Obviously, three is fantastic. I think Iran's going to be the toughest game out of the group, personally speaking. I think England will be a good game for the U.S. because England wants to play. And the fact that they want to play... Um, that, I think that's going to bode well for the U.S. in the way that they want to play. Uh, the Wales game is, is the game where you got to go take the points, and that's how I see it. Because then everything thereafter, you're kind of in a driver's seat, right? If you, t if you take the points against Wales, England now has the pressure. They're England. They created the game. They have the best league in the world. It's England. So everybody expects them to beat us. In that situation, if we have three points, I say we're in a driver's seat because we don't have to go try to drive the game, push the game. What we can do is allow them to be the ones to think about actually having to do that. And hopefully, they either lose concentration or they expose themselves in some way that we can take advantage of. And, and we do have players on that team that have the ability to do that, which you know, obviously lends itself to big moments and, 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 and capitalizing on areas that you can take advantage of. Yeah, Aronson, Wea, McKinney, Pulisic, Reyna, these guys all have pace about them too so they can, they can, make, they can make somebody pay, right, if they get unbalanced yeah. defensively. And it's good that you mentioned all their names. What I would say is one or two of those guys has to emerge early as the game changer. Like they, they have to be one or two of them have to be special in these three games. Do you, you know what I mean? Like yeah, they, have, yeah. they have to they have to give the final assist. They have to score a goal. They ha they have to they have to do something that is of production. Because that that will be incredibly helpful for the team going through, you know, the World Cup. Um, they need somebody to be in really good form. Well, and, and that brings up, because you mentioned one of the reasons you just said that you, you like the matchup with England is because they want to play. And the fear I, I'm hearing from a lot of the pundits is 
when the United States encounters a low block and a team that really just tries to bunker in, it's been difficult for them to be able to break down and create goals in those situations. And look, I think you're a great guy to ask about it because that's what teams try to do to Sporting Kansas City all the time when you guys play at home, right? They, they try to close up shop in front of goal and make it hard to pick them apart. What do you think, like, what is the key? Like, what, is, what does the U.S. have to do in those two games if, in fact, they, they face this, this low block to, to try to unlock that? First of all, I, I think Greg and his staff have done a tremendous job, right? I, I think they've, they've leading up till now to the, to the World Cup, they've done a great job with the team. They've, I think, established, you know, a couple different things. They, they, they established the, the, you can see, whether you're watching on TV or live now, you can see that the guys play for the jersey. They play for the country. That, that's very, very important. Mm-hmm. The next piece is, is that, as we were saying, that you do have game changers on that team. They are there. But the one thing that could be incredibly advantageous, look, it's going to be hot. No matter how yeah. you look at it, it's going to be hot. There are a lot of players on that roster that play in a league called Major League Soccer that plays through the summer months, and they know what it's like to play in heat on a regular basis, not just here or there. And then you have an, an added part, and that is the youth of the team. The, the play, the recovery, the play, the recovery, that also is going to be and, – and, and, you know, play recovery is play the first half, recover at halftime, play again. I think those guys have an advantage there. Um, but, yeah, but the advantage, the advantage it has to be then exploited. Um, it has to be used. Right, you have to take advantage of that, and and so what I do think is going to happen is is two things. One is I think teams aren't going to sit back on a regular basis against the U.S. I don't think so. I don't think they're just going to bunker in. Now they're sure they will during the course of the game because it's inevitable, right? Somebody gains possession, somebody you know pushes up the field with the ball, and now all of a sudden you got to drop back and defend for that moment. Um, but I, I see these games where the other teams are capable, more than capable enough to then bring it to you. So when they do, the U.S. has an opportunity in those situations to now use what they have, youth, speed, a lot of athleticism, and that's where they could, they could take advantage of some of these teams. If they get positioned into the low block, I think that the, the key there is, is that you have to be patient. And then the other thing is you have to have incredible positional allocation so that if you do lose the ball, you have balance within your team, and you're able to deal with the other team from a counter perspective, uh, perspective and you can, you, know, you can put that out quickly. I love the fact that you pointed out the climate because we're seeing all, all sorts of stuff on social media. Wales changed their practice time because they thought it was too hot. You know, um, the English players, I just saw a video before we started taping this interview of the English players coming off and sticking their fans in the misting fa- uh, fan because they, they're, they're so overheated. Not only does the U.S. have the experience of playing in MLS, and I, boy, I've talked with all of the European guys that have come over here to play for sporting, and the summers hit them their first time here, but also qualifying. You've talked to me about 
you got to go to the jungles of Honduras and Costa Rica and play. These Americans have that experience as well. And the other thing that you brought up, the, the, they play for the, they're playing for the U.S. soccer crest. They're playing for their country and taking pride. I saw a quote from Tim Ream. He said that this team has more togetherness than any soccer team he's ever played on. And some of that maybe the coaches can help establish a culture, but some of that has to be a little bit of like the timing has to be right, right? Like if you got a bunch of guys that have sick of being around each other or maybe they've got other things going on and, and they're tired of their federation or whatever, that can cause problems. These guys seem to really all be on the same page. And I'm curious how important you think that's going to be in this competition. I think it's everything, right? But I actually think it's – so, you know when you watch an all-star game? Yeah. And it's just a – it's this offense, right? It's all it really is. Yeah. Um, and then everybody's getting theirs or trying to get theirs. This, you know, uh, there's times that people, I mean, I even myself at times, I'll refer to it, hey, this is an, a, a group of all-stars, right? I mean, it's an easy way to, to describe what a national team is. But in any team, for it to be successful, you, you, have, to, you have to have a common goal. You have to have something that you all come together and all believe in is what you're doing. And I think that it's very, it's, it's a lot easier once you get to the World Cup to understand. And a little bit is insecurity now, right? Because you're not sure what you're going into. And so it's better to be close to the guys that you know than the guys you don't. <laughs> And so now all of a sudden, you start to get a little galvanized. What actually helps immensely is if you can get in any tournament, when you get a result, it makes you stronger or you're down one nil and you come back and win two to one. That adds something and it's, it's magnified in a tournament like this. Um, what you also have to give this team credit for is the fact that they won the Nations League and they also won the Gold Cup in those two tournaments, a lot of these players played in either either one of them. And you had similar kind of format where you're playing in group play and you got to get out and so on and so forth. And what's interesting about that is, is that, again, you, they know what it's like to be able to go through those steps to kind of get there. That's very beneficial to this team. And so... I'm sure they have the common goal together. Now they need just that one little thing that's going to galvanize them going into the competition. Peter, this has been a great conversation. We could we could go on for days about this stuff, but it's everybody's getting excited for Monday. Again, the World Cup watch party down in the Power and Light District is going to be uh, going to be incredible. Might have an appearance from Peter at that. I don't know. We'll see. Um, chance. You, you uh, on that note, uh, my last question for you. The World Cup usually takes place in June, and MLS doesn't really break for it. I mean, it's you're still playing games. Will you get to watch more games um, of the World Cup since the since it's the off season? Yeah, I, I'm actually. I can't wait till they start. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch. I mean, honestly, I'll, I'll try to watch every game if possible, uh, if I can. Yeah, I, I will. I'll be watching as many as I possibly can. Can't wait. That, I think yeah. it's. I think. From, from a spectator's perspective, it actually works out great. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not great for all the leagues around the world and everything. It works out for Major League Soccer. Um, yeah. It really does. Uh, so it's, it's, 
it's the first benefit we get in the international scene because we're always losing our players to everything, right? So <laughs> yep. we're, not, we're not struggling this time around. Hey, about time MLS gets a little kiss from the from the FIFA calendar. So yeah. we'll take it. Uh, Peter, hey, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. We'll see you Monday. My pleasure always, Nate. Good talking to you, buddy. All right, that is Peter Burmese, and we'll be back with uh, Ali Connell and Chad Reynolds to kind of give our thoughts on this game. But, I mean, what more do you need? You just heard it from Peter Burmese right there. This is the Soccer Capital of America podcast series through Sporting Kansas City. All right, we're back on the Soccer Capital of America podcast, episode number two, England versus Wales preview. Our thanks to Peter Vermees for joining us. Phenomenal stuff as always. So much insight and, and filling me with confidence, guys, now for this game. Let's get to our starting 11s. And, hey, I'm going to remind everybody we're recording this pod on a Friday. There could be injury news that comes out between now and then. We don't know. This is just kind of what we're how we're seeing things. Ali, I want to start with you. Give me your 11 for this USA squad for Greg Berhalter. Well, I think Matt Turner in goal. I've got Yedlin. I think it's going to be Ream and Zimmerman as your center backs. I think possession is going to be really big for the U.S. in this game, being good on the ball. And so I think you're going to see that pairing. Um, Robinson, and then in the midfield, McKinney, Adams, Musa, up top, Wea, Ferreira, and Pulisic. That's my, that's my starting lineup. Jesus Ferreira going to be starting up top for you. Yep. I think that's kind of chalk for maybe for a lot of people. Although I do think it's interesting. You have Yedlin starting over Serginho Dest at right back. Um, that is an interesting one to keep an eye on. Okay. Connell McCourt, let me get yours. Okay. So I have Turner and goals as well. Uh, I have Dest starting at right back in the two center halves. I've chose Zimmerman and long just to, to deal with uh, Gareth Bale. I just don't think that, that Tim Ream is has the legs to do it. Sorry, but I think the whole tactic against Wales is if you stop Beal, you stop Wales. So I have Aaron Long there, a bit, a bit uh, more youthful, has more uh, in the tank maybe than Tim Ream has. I know the whole Jedi Robinson and Ream thing is something that people have bought into, but I just think they start Long there just for the legs. Uh, Anton Rob- or Robinson, yes, out the left. The same midfield, Musa, Adams, and McKinney. And then up top, I've actually went Aronson, playing off the right where he's done uh, for Leeds this year. Jesus Ferrer in the middle and Christian Pulisic at the left. Let, let's get yours here, Chad, before we all start to share our thoughts on this a little bit. Go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm going with the same back four as Connell. I do think it will be Aaron Long at the other center back spot because of the pace. And, and, this is going to be a transition game from Wales. That's how Wales is going to look to attack. It's a transition and set piece thing. Well, Aaron Long is is good in both of those phases of play. So I think it's the same back four. I think it's the same midfield. I, I don't know how you go with anybody but Adams, Musa, and McKinney. I guess maybe Aaron said, could come in there for Musa, but I, I Eunice Musa is so good and he's so important. I've got to, I'm going to switch it up up top. There are a lot of rumors coming out of camp that Timo Weah has been playing as a nine in camp. And I'm interested to see how that plays out. I don't know that it'll be this match, but I expect Timo Weah to start at the nine at some match. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to predict it here. Let's go Timothy Weah at the nine, Pulisic on the left, and I think it'll be Aronson on the right, which means you've got Reyna as your kind of super sub coming off the bench. Very interesting stuff. It's interesting, Chad, because I saw that too. Which, like, it makes you wonder just because of how, 
I mean, like the number nine for the U.S. men's national team has been the talk. And he really hasn't been like Timo Weo hasn't really been too much a part of that conversation because he's had that spot out on the wing. So but it is a great way to and I do like his physicality, his size, his speed. I mean, it could lend well to the, you know, playing him at the at the starting striker. It's also you're going up against a three man back line, a three or a five back line. And so, like, how do you how do you exploit that? Well, maybe you think that him and what he brings is maybe a little bit more important there than than a Ferreira or somebody. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I just I think there's something to the fact that that rumor is making its way out this late in the game. Okay, so before I give you my starting 11, to me, this is the big conundrum that Greg Berhalter has more than anything else. And, and it's a good pro- it's a good problem to have. It's a problem that he really hasn't had at any point yet, uh, as in his tenure as uh, U.S. Men's National Team manager. And that is, out of these five players, he's not going to be able to get all five of them on the field at the exact same time. These players being Christian Pulisic, Brendan Aronson, Timo Weah, Gio Reyna, and Eunice Musa. Those are five big-time players, right, that are playing at big-time clubs that, that are explosive, dynamic, and have something to offer. And how he's going to fit, I mean, a couple of those guys, quite likely, would have to start on the bench unless he does something like what you're saying, Chad, and that is start a false nine or start Tim Weah at the nine. Then he can get four of those guys on the field at the same time. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what he does here. Um, and I think that's it's, it's you got a lot of factors to weigh in. It's not just about, you know, it, U.S. soccer Twitter is always going to want to run to who the best players are. But this is about how they fit on the field together, you know, and trying to figure that out is going to be a real conundrum when you haven't had a lot mm-hmm. of opportunities to tinker with it and see who fits where the best. So my starting 11, we all got Turner and goal. I'm going Dest, Zimmerman, and I'm doing long as well at left center back for this one. I am Ali though going Tim Ream against England because I think that's a different game. I think you're playing in a lower block. The pace of the other team might not be as big of an issue. I want chemistry more there and organization in that game. So it's kind of weird to switch out your center back from one game to the next, but I'm going Ream in game two, but long in game one. Now here's where I have the biggest difference from you guys. And I'm going a little different on this stuff. My midfield trio is not MMA. It is AMA, Adams, Musa, Aronson. Aronson has played as the number 10 for Leeds in each of the last two mm-hmm. games. I don't know how many times he's played there versus out on the wing this year because I didn't start keeping track. But the last two games they played, I watched them both. He played at the number 10. McKinney's still working his way back from an injury. I just wonder if he might not be the kind of guy that you bring into the game as a sub, let him get his legs under him a little bit, and plus – this is a game where you figure to have a lot of the ball. And I'm looking to press up the field. Aronson's press is incredible in terms of taking the ball away in the attacking third. And I think he's the kind of guy that he should have he should have six or seven more assists than he does for Leeds this year if they could finish a happy meal. He <laughs> sets up goals. And I, I think that, you know, I want him in that attacking midfield role where he can create things against a low block turn uh, uh, Wales over in their own half. And then I've got Pulisic on the left. 
I've got Weya on the right and Sargent up top. Now that means Reyna's on the bench to start this thing. I wouldn't be stunned to see Reyna on the right side instead of Weya or what you said, Chad, maybe you start Weya up top and Reyna on the right side. I like Sargent. I, I just, I think he provides that number nine. I, I like having Aronson on the field because I do think like movement's going to be so important. Like you said, the U.S. is going to have a lot of the ball in this game, which is why I am starting Tim Ream, just because I do think he's better in possession. I think you've got Walker Zimmerman who can be the guy to track down a bail if Wales are able to get out on the counter. But I like the idea of having a player like Aronson because those you know, Pulisic coming inside, those diagonal runs in behind, trying to pull whale center backs out and, and fight, slip the ball into those spaces is going to be so important. So if you have the physicality of t- uh, Tim Weah up there, you know, kind of centrally, and then you've got players like Aronson or Pulisic or even Reyna or whoever's out on the wing kind of slipping inside like that, I, what I don't want to see happen is the U.S. just kind of get stuck in this like very stale, stagnant, purpose without possession kind of game. That is like my biggest concern is that they play a little too slow. You make a mistake. And then all of a sudden you've got players flying forward for, for Wales. This is probably the only game you're going to play against the back three or a back five or whatever in the group. Anyway, I mean, Iran's not going to play at England aren't going to play at. So that kind of lends itself to the likes of Aronson playing a bit further forward or the likes of Reina playing as a false nine, try and drag out one of the defenders. And then you have either Wea or Pulisic, whoever, rapid, fast players getting in behind. The the thing, the reason why I don't think he starts Aronson in the midfield is because you need to win that midfield battle. They're going to have three midfielders there. If you have Aronson's going a bit further forward and Wales have three against two, I think that'll play into Wales' hands a bit. I'm not sure, but it's interesting you say Wea at the number nine. I guess it would probably be a false nine. Has he ever played there for the U.S. before? Uh, I know Aronson, uh, just what you were saying, Nate, he's played he's played attacking midfield nearly twice as much as he's played right for Leeds. I don't know that Way has played it for the U.S., but he has played it for club. He's you know he's he's spent time at the nine in his career. Yeah, but I think there's a reason he's out on the wing. He prefers the wing. Yeah, it, look, the thing about Way, his biggest attribute is his pace. He's not the most technical. His bo- his his final ball leaves a little something to be desired. But I want him on the field in these games because and one of the things that Peter Vermees said to us, I think is a really in- interesting point. Wales is not – they are not going to play this entire game in their defensive third. They are going to have moments where they work the ball into the attack and they get their numbers pushed up the field. And in those moments, that's when I think the pace of a Tim Weah can really bother Wales. I think his pace comes in huge in this game. That's why I'd like to see him out there. I know most USA fans think that I'm completely insane if I would start Weah over Reyna, but we'll see where it goes. Guys, I want to get to the keys real quick. Uh, give me one key for this game for you, Allie, as you look at it that's most important for the U.S. to come away with the win. Great question. I think for me the number one key is just going to be to take care of the ball. I think, if anything, the only way that the U.S. can lose in the lose in this game is if they beat themselves. Um, also to circle back, it's kind of why I, I have Yedlin starting. I like his experience. I like Tim Ream's experience. I think you bring that experience out in the first game. Maybe that's just me, but I think, you know, having players like that out on the field um, can help kind of settle things down a little bit. But I just think that if the U.S. can just take care of the ball, don't make silly mistakes, 
um, that is my key to the game. That's a key in every game, but I, I think that's going to be really important. That and then movement up top. I think movement's going to be really key. Move the ball quick. Um, don't get don't get caught playing slow. How about you, Connell? I actually agree a lot with what Ali just said. It's taking care of the ball trend. I think the midfield battle is so key in this game. I think the U.S. has to be patient. Wales are probably going to sit back for a while to start the game, try and grow into the game a bit more, and then you can have your flair players, the likes of Gareth Bale, trying to hurt you when the ball's in transition. That's why, honestly, I wouldn't even be shocked if you see Kellen Acosta starting this game as one of the midfield three. Just someone who's a bit more defensive-minded, who can wouldn't be going as far forward, kind of kicking care of the ball, trying to draw wheels a bit further out, and then you can have the legs of your Tim Weah, even Haji Wright, starting up top and having the legs of Pulisic and Weah playing off him as more of a target man. I think taking care of the ball, but the main thing, not to be too defensive, I think you take care of Bale, you take care of Wales. Honestly, if you stop him playing, if you stop any of the service going to him, which again goes to the midfield, I think you win this game. Because the U.S. have got enough quality to score up top, whether it's Jesus Ferreira, Haji Wright, Pulisic, whoever it is. If you can be patient and win the midfield battle, win all your battles all over the pitch, I think that's the key to getting a victory in this first game. Interesting you bring up Kellen Acosta, by the way, because he was talking a lot this week about his LAFC teammate, Gareth Bale and said that, you know, they need to make sure that they're on him early, making like their presence known, be a little physical, let him know that they're there. I mean, that could very well be a reason that you see him in this game. Someone who has a ton of experience playing with Wales key player. All right, Chad Reynolds, what about you? Uh, my key to the game is, is in a word discipline. I think it's going to be super important. You know, that Wales doesn't actually want a ton of the ball. Um, you know, in the Euros, they they or sorry, European qualifying, they were last, dead last in time of possession for teams that qualified for the World Cup. But they also don't need a ton of the ball. They have so much speed, especially on the wings. You're talking about Nico Williams. You're talking about James. You're talking about Gareth Bale, obviously up top. They can counter with the best of them, and and so the discipline of the 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 U.S. outside backs, specifically Jedi Robinson, Sergio Dest, if he's out there to not get caught too far forward so that if Wales does get that counter, they can go. And then the second part of it is going to be set pieces. And, and, and the discipline's super important here for two reasons. One, you cannot give up set pieces to Wales. Gareth Bale is going to step over that ball. He's scored, what, 20-something like that set-piece goals in his career? And many of them have come for Wales in international play in big games. Yeah. Cannot give up set pieces to this team. They also have the uh, the other forward who may or may not play is that six foot five guy. So it's like you're giving up height, you're giving up set pieces. Set pieces are always important in, in these, you know, sh- these tournament situations. Cannot give up set pieces. And then when the US has set pieces, Wales traditionally leaves more players high than most other teams for that counter and for that break. And so there, there's a discipline side of that as well. You got to be prepared because you cannot give them the counter. Wales is deadly on the counter. Got to be disciplined the whole night, and it is night. It's like a 10 o'clock kick local time in Doha or in in Qatar. So it it is night. You got to be disciplined all night long, and I think if you're disciplined, you're going to come out of this game with a win. Okay, that's all great stuff. My my key to the game, guys, is uh, is actually going to be kind of a player. I think the most important guy in this tournament and the most important guy, especially in this game, is Tyler Adams. And we haven't even really talked about him because of everything that you guys said. We expect this game to be played for the majority in Wales half. Uh, There's so many roles with that number six. And one of them is 
when you do have the ball up the field and you lose it. You need a number six who is ready to see where the danger is and snuff it out and keep those counterattacks from happening. Protect that back line. Don't put them in a position where they've got one of those speedy Wales players running at them 1v1 with the fullbacks up the field. So to me, Tyler Adams has to carry all of the water in this game. He's got, and, and I think he will. He's, he's up for it. He's got the engine for it. So that's uh, – that's my key to the game there is that – and the way Peter Vermees referred to it was positional allocation. When you lose the ball, make sure you're organized so that you don't get yourself caught out in a bad situation. And, Nate, the other thing about Tyler Adams' role in Greg Berhalter's system is when those wingbacks go forward, Tyler Adams and, and usually one of the other midfielders rotates into those spots to cover. So that comes into that discipline again of if you get caught forward, if Jedi's gone, and, and obviously so much of the U.S. attack goes through Jedi Robinson on the left, if Jedi goes, somebody's got to cover to make sure that they don't get the run out that, that Wales is looking for. And that is so often a Tyler Adams role. And the good news is Tyler Adams can play outside back. We've seen him do it for the national team. We've seen him do it. Uh, you know, he did it quite a bit at Leipzig um, and then obviously a little bit now at Leeds. Okay, guys, time now to wrap it up with our picks to kick. We'll have some fun with this. Who we think, who's going to score, who's going to get the assists in this game, and I'll start with you, Allie. Well, I'm going to go with Captain America on this one for the Soccer Capital oh. of America podcast. I think uh, uh, I think Christian Pulisic. I think, you know, I, Nate, I love, you know, Peter Vermees saying that you need one of those guys to come on and kind of claim – claim this thing and and make their presence known early on. And I think Pulisic uh, is going to be the guy to do that. I, I think, you know, it, it maybe he left a little bit to be desired throughout qualifying, but I, I do think that he is, uh, I, he's just the guy for me. I, I think this is his time. That would have been my pick. I, I Darn it, I thought he might fall <laughs> all the way to me. All right, we'll go to Connell next. Who do you have, Connell? I'm probably going to go with Brandon Aronson, honestly. Uh, I just, <laughs> sorry, Chad, <laughs> looked like you had him coming up there, but I, I just think he's someone that he, he, there's some of these players that come through that we see that it just kind of looks like no matter how high or no matter how big the stage is, it just doesn't phase them. And he seems to be one of those players. It just acts like it's just a game where he's having a kick about in the park with his friends. It seems like the pressure doesn't really get to him and he has all the talent in the world. I think, when if the, if USA are leading in the game, wheels are going to have to come on to them, and that's when I think the legs of a Brandon Aronson will can pick you apart and uh, maybe even get an assist. But I think he can score one too. All right, Chad, no Pulisic available, no Aronson available. Where are you going with this one? Uh, I, I was going. I was definitely Connell's right. I was definitely going Aronson. He's in form. He's been playing great. I think he's important to the press um, as well as we already talked about. Um, I'll go with Timo Weah then. I'll go whether he's on the right wing or whether he's playing as the nine. I think Timothy Weah is such an important part of um, of what the U.S. is going to need to do in this tournament because he brings the one thing that is impossible for other teams to account for, and that is pace. and And he runs the channels well. He runs wide well. Yes, his final ball is not always the best. His finishing hasn't always been his strongest suit. But he brings the thing that no team can account for because you can't ever sit deep enough for pace. 100%. And if he's making good runs and he's getting good service from those other guys, it's super, super uh, important and super dangerous. So I'll go with Timothy Weah. I think he, I think there's goals and assists in this tournament for Timo Weah. 
Boy, that leaves me whoever plays the nine. Well, unless Weya plays it, but I, I could go Sargent. I could go Ferreira. I could go Musa. I could go McKinney. And I'm not even sure which one of those guys is going to play major minutes. I think I'll be a fool if I don't go with, uh, well, and I didn't even mention Gio Reyna. Uh, he's there as well. Right. I think I'm a fool if I don't go with Weston McKinney here. Nate, when we played picks to kick uh, earlier, you know, this year with Sporting Kansas City, you could get a lot of value off the bench sometimes. So, yeah. And Weston McKinney could very well start. Three of the four of us had him starting in this game. But I just think Weston McKinney, everybody understands he's a gamer. The brighter the lights, the bigger the stage, the more he steps up. And he finds a way to power the ball into the back of the net. He wins headers on set pieces. He just pops up in good areas. I'll take Weston McKinney as my pick to kick. So there you have it, folks. This is podcast number two of the Soccer Capital of America podcast series, getting you ready for England versus Wales. Again, don't forget, Twitter spaces, assuming Twitter exists, uh, we'll have we'll have all the live stuff for you on Monday. Get your tickets at SeatGeek for the watch party, 1 o'clock Monday, Wales versus the United States in the Power and Light District. And, and make sure you follow the Twitter handle, as, again, assuming that it's still there. So far, it's it's all still good. So, I mean, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Soccer Capital KC. You'll get all your content there. We'll do a drop-in later if uh, yeah. if things change. We'll do a drop-in later. I'll do the, 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 the little drop of like, oh, hey, yeah. go to us on Instagram. Yeah. Go to us on... I don't know what. Hello, find us on Google Wave. Is Google Wave still a thing? <laughs> all the all no. the different things. Time to be real. But uh, but basically, follow Sporting Kansas City everywhere you are, and you'll get this content. We're going to be cranking it out all World Cup long. We can't wait. The World Cup is here, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next time on the Soccer Capital of America podcast.